Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, we're Bobby Bo. Welcome to Bobby Boss Vegas for Coast Kiss Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Peterson, now part of the Beast and Family Podcast. We've got an excellent podcast for you. Joining me in segment number two, Matt Josephs. You know him better as mid-major Matt. We're going to be taking a look at some of the games for Friday, taking a little bit of a look at the Atlantic 10 landscape as well, and we're going to be just taking a look at some of the teams that he's a little bit bullish on, teams that he's a bit bearish on. We're also going to be touching upon just what we're seeing in terms of sort of the tiers in these mid-major leagues as well. I've been noticing that there's been a clear divide between some of the haves and the have-nots in a lot of these leagues, so we're going to be talking about that and so much more with Matt in segment number two. In the final segment, going to get you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Friday as we hit some bank shots. If you do have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at gnet underscore d1. Keep in mind, letters DM, name does not matter. So as per usual, please send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. Then from there, you're able to fire on whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Do not get in any of those Twitter slash X questions today. And just a little bit of a heads up, do need to do this a little bit in advance because the Greg Peterson experience, that is on Visa in the Sports Bank Network from 9 to midnight Pacific, midnight to 3 Eastern. We should be able to do these recaps a little bit more timely in future weeks. So that is going to be a good thing. But that said, we do have a lot of results. 
results that are right in the books from college basketball on Thursday. So let's take a look back at what we all did get on college basketball on the Thursday. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. This game is just wrapping up as I record this, but it's looking like it's going to be another loss for Memphis, currently trailing by double figures with about four minutes remaining. North Texas up 69 to 59 as North Texas has started out the game going 16 of 28 from three. And that's the issue right now that you've got with this Memphis team. Absolutely no defense whatsoever. They have just been ghastly with that regard because the offense has been fine. They're getting bottled up by North Texas right now, but this is legitimately a good North Texas team. Entered into the night 13 and 8 against the spread while Memphis. They entered into the night 8 and 16 against the spread. It's been all sorts of almighty awful for them. And when it comes to North Texas, you have to highlight Jason Edwards as I record this. He has 7 of 9 from 3 prior range, but Man, the wheels have just completely fallen off. And something that you might want to take a look at is these teams that they were propped up towards beginning part of the season. Try to reevaluate were those losses, were those wins that they had in the early part of the season good? Because we thought Memphis was good because they knocked off Arkansas. Michigan, and Missouri. All three of those teams we have realized are frauds and stinks. So that's eh, a big thing with this Memphis team. It looks like they're going to be going down in a fiery heap. Right now, it's looking like Minnesota might be able to continue the best ATS mark in all of college basketball. They entered in the night 20-3 and against the spread. Now, the second half just started up, so there's still a lot of time remaining on this one. But Minnesota, in a lot of places, was catching right around 16.5 points. Currently up 47-43, to early moments of the Second half starting up, they went 20 and 3 against the spread going into the night. There was question as to whether or not Dawson Garcia was going to play. He is out there on the floor, and as of right now, Minnesota 9 of 17 from three par inch, and Purdue shooting above 50% from three. But Minnesota has won the turnover battle to this point, 8 to 1 right now, looking really good as you brought in Elijah Hawkins, and he has been just so much more efficient than he was over at Howard. He has gotten six assists before his first point of this game. So Minnesota looking like they're going to be able to keep things rocking and rolling and this team has been really rocking and rolling as well how about the boys from the Sun Belt in Troy and what they've been able to do entered in the night 16-5-1 against the spread they were up at the half against Arkansas State now this is a line of about six in a lot of spots currently they're up 49-46 to so very much in the balance with regards to this one but Troy has been an incredible team all season long and for Arkansas State a solid offense a not so solid defense so we shall see what happens there but Troy has really got it going on this far this season. And another team has really got it going on this season. The UT Arlington Mavericks entered in the night 16-6 and against the spread. As it sits right now, it looks like they are not going to be able to pull off this cover. They were laying about 4.5 points against Arlington State down with about 2.30 to go, 73-67. to And for UT Arlington, I do feel like this is going to be a team that is going to be falling back to the pack with regards to their against the spread record. In this game, they've went 7-23 from 3, but the big thing for Arlington is that they turn the ball over a ton. They are in the bottom 30 nationally in terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis. They do have someone in Dewan Gordon that's giving you a double double in this game. 20 points, 13 rebounds as I record. So you do have guys that are able to do a solid job on that front, but you certainly do have some question marks there. But no question marks with the DK Network write-up pick. We are now 21 games above 561 and 40. So it just continues to hit. We had the over in Abilene Christian versus UT Rio Grande Valley. Both teams get past 75 points. As a matter of fact, both teams put up 79 plus points. As for Abilene Christian, they get the win 
win. They get the cover 87-79. And, I mean, it's been an Abilene Christian team that's out 13-9-1 to the over. So they've been able to do a relatively quality job there. And for UT uh, Rio Grande Valley, it's been a rough defense for them all season long. It's Abilene Christian shot north of 61% from the floor. In this one, you saw Grand Valley be able to hang in there because they went 22 of 30 at the free throw line. Good news for them. They were able to get back one of their top scorers in Hassan Abdul-Akim, so that's going to be good for them moving forward, but very happy that we were able to get that one in, and the winning keeps coming on those write-ups. Hopefully, we'll have another winner for you guys on Friday, as that has been absolutely remarkable this season. What else has been pretty remarkable is the way that Morehead State has been able to play out there in the Ohio Valley Conference. Morehead State entered in the night 15-6 and six against the spread, currently up on Little Rock, 43-40, to 40, with about 12 minutes remaining in the second half. Morehead State did close as a modest favorite, so we shall see what happens there, but for Little Rock, they got up on this game double figures very early on. As a matter of fact, they were up 31-18 with about three minutes remaining in the first half. Morad State has completely chipped it away. Very good defense, so I've been thoroughly impressed by what I've been seeing out of them. And then a few games that did go final. You do want to be noting this. Tazarian White for UNC Wilmington did not play for them. That is their top score, averaging 20-plus points per contest. And for Wilmington, wasn't quite enough to cover north of 20 points. And I feel like there are a lot of people surprised by the fact that White did not play in this game. 73-54. to Wilmington was able to get the win. They completely dominated on the glass. 40-26. to But you do want to be noting that because that is a big piece for this team. And Daniel Bajo did not play for Louisiana. Tech as well. That went very much under the radar as Louisiana Tech, they got the win, but they did not get the cover against Jacksonville State. That by kind of 63-58 to 58. defense was just fine though. And it's a Jacksonville State team that they've been having a little bit of a rough time on offense and this non-cover by Louisiana Tech, that does drop them to 13-9 and nine against the spread, but for Louisiana Tech, they were very much relying upon their backcourt in this game. Nobody had north of six rebounds in this game. They did lose a rebound battle 37-30 as a result, but they won the turnover battle 19 to 12, so that was impressive for Louisiana Tech, and for Louisiana Tech, guy that saw the majority of Miller minutes, Terry Miller Jr., he comes in, have an average of about 2.5 points per contest, and had 17 points in this one, so next man up for Louisiana Tech out there. What has been up for this team all season long has been having some uh, ups and downs, to say the least, as Oral Roberts, they lose 73-60 to against North Dakota State. It has been a very strange and random year for this Oral Roberts team, one that against the spread is now 10 and 11 and for North Dakota State they entered in the night just 8-13-1 against the spread but they go 9-23 from 3 point range so they were able to do a quality job there as Nebraska Omaha has actually been your best cover team out in the Summit League thus far this season and they are looking like they're going to close this thing out, but they're not going to be able to cover against South Dakota. They close as an 8.5 point favorite. They win this game by kind of 91 to 84. That's going to drop them to 14 to 9 against the spread, but you've been having this Omaha team do a relatively solid job of being able to cover a lot of these numbers and looks like it's actually going to be 92 to 84. So on an 8.5 point line, which a lot of places close this thing at, they're not going to quite get there. It's Paul Bruns, by the way, for South Dakota. With about 8 seconds remaining, was able to can a 3 and then South Dakota fell from there and then there was a missed free throw. So some big time hijinks in the back half of that one. A little bit of a rough one if you had that one. But man, it has been interesting. And just to take a look at the nip and tuck nature of that. And how about this team being able to surge? UCLA. 
Currently, they're up by kind of 38 to 29 at the half against Colorado. As we know, for UCLA, it was a brutal, brutal start to the season for them. But all of a sudden, this team has been able to get a little bit of something going. If you utilize the line of pick'em against Cal's, I know that that one was a little bit all over the place. They were coming into this game having covered each out of their last five games. Actually, each out of their last, I believe, eight games coming into this one. And for UCLA, they went into the first half and they did a nice job of just being able to control things with a turn over edge of 9-1, to one. so we shall see if UCLA is able to continue that, but they have been a nice money maker for you recently. Gonzaga, I felt like this might be a little bit of a down spot for them. They're playing a Loyola Marymount team that had just six, kind of six, scholarship players. Good news for them is that Justice Hill has been all sorts of banged up, has been back in the fold for the team recently for them, so that's relatively solid, but that said, as of right now, Loyola Marymount down just one point at the half, 47-46, and that's just been the Gonzaga experience this season. Gonzaga when you expect them to just give you a big giant tournament effort, they come through in diamonds, and when you expect a diamond, you get a turn. That's exactly what Gonzaga has been giving you all season long. So it's been very, very intriguing to take a look at them, to say the least. And it's been intriguing to take a look at Florida Atlantic as well. Another win, but non-cover from them. 80-68, to the final against Temple. Florida Atlantic has been just all over the place as far as this season in the way that They've been playing out there in American Conference play as they've only covered two games within the conference. Now, I mean, this was a line of like 19 and a half. No need to sound the alarm in terms of like a just straight up overall basketball perspective from Florida Lank, but clearly a team that's being a little bit overvalued for Florida Lank. They do go 12 of 29 from three inch and they get another solid effort out of John L. Davis. He was able to supply the team with 17 points. Defense has really been eluding this team, though, as for Temple, they were able to play even up with regards to turnover battle and only lost a rebound battle by three. Temple did an okay job of being able to hold in there on the glass, so they were able to get you a nice quality cover there. Charlotte has been one of your better cover teams in all of college basketball, but they were unable to get a cover against UTSA. Meet, meet for the road runners as this was a final of 79 to 70. Charlotte, they were just laying a little bit too big of a number in this one, but all in all, they've been a solid cover team for you at 13 and 10 against the spread. Your best cover team, by the way, out there in the American has been South Florida. 15, 5, and 3 against the spread. They had played earlier in the week, so they were not in action on Thursday, but that's been relatively impressive, and then we did see some interesting action out there in the coastal, and I really do need to give some lip service to this. Monmouth was able to win this game by a count of 88-87 to after what was one of the most harebrained finishes I have ever seen in my life. Monmouth was up by 11 points with less than 5 minutes remaining. They completely evaporate the lead. As a matter of fact, they are down, I believe it was like 5 points with 16 seconds remaining, and Monmouth scores 9 Nine points of the final 10 seconds to be able to win the game. I mean, this was one of the most wild things I've ever seen. Xander Rice goes off for 37 points, and hopefully I did it justice. I'm trying to explain it right now, but I mean, it was so harebrained that I'm having a tough time following what exactly happened. And Campbell, by the way, they went 9 of 17 from three-point range. Anthony Deloroso was able to give you 31 points, 10 rebounds. So this game was all sorts of nutty and harebrained, but mom, if they don't cover the number, they were 5.5 point favorite, but that said, they do survive, and they advance, and Fairly Dickinson, who was stuck in an elevator shaft. I'm not even kidding. They were stuck in an elevator shaft to begin the game. They pull it out in overtime against Long Island by a count of 84-82. to They do not cover, but they win a game that goes to overtime. And do you call it pre-time with what happened with them being stuck in an elevator shaft before the game? So they essentially played two bonus sessions, I guess you could say. But for Fairly Dickinson, they go just 4 of 19 from 3 pie range, but they pull it out against the Sharks. So kudos for them. It was just a insane day of college basketball. And if you're looking at one of your best under 
teams in all of college basketball. That would be Vermont, and Vermont was able to cash you yet another under as they are now 17-unders to 7-overs this far this season. They take it to New Hampshire by kind of 70-54. to 54. As for New Hampshire, they just could not muster up anything in the second half as this was actually a very competitive game, 29-27 to 27 at the half, and then for New Hampshire, they could not sink a shot. They go 4-21 from 3-par inch, and Aaron Deloney off the bench provided this Vermont team with 29 points. Vermont only goes 11-37 of from 3-par inch themselves, but they win the turnover battle 13-10. to 10. They win the rebound battle 40-36 to 36 as well, so they were able to get the job done on that front. Another team that was able to get the job done as well, that would be Old Winthrop. They take down Radford by a count of 85-69. to 69. Just has not been your father's Radford team this year with the way that they've been giving up points, and if you're looking at some of your top under teams in all of college basketball, the two Illinois schools out there in the Ohio Valley Conference, Western Illinois and Eastern Illinois, they have really come to the forefront thus far this season, entering into the night. Western Illinois, 16-unders of five overs. Eastern Illinois, 14-unders, five overs, and two pushes. And as of right now, Eastern Illinois looking like they're on a little bit of an over trajectory. The total on this game was 136.5, currently up 62 to 43 on Southeast Missouri State with about nine minutes remaining. So a little bit nip and tuck there. Might be able to pull out that under because Southeast Missouri State might not be competitive enough for a late game falling. Meanwhile, this game looks like it's going to be going well under the total. Western Illinois and Tennessee Tech, total of just 127.5, but right now we're sitting 36 to 31 with about 15 minutes remaining in the second half. Western Illinois have just been masters at being able to get these games played slow, controlled, and grimy. And speaking of teams, I'd like to play game slow, controlled, and grimy. Rutgers, they've now played 17 unders to 7 overs this season. They get the win against Northwestern by a count of 63 to 60. Did not cover the closing number. That was right around about 4, 4.5. If you got in early, that was more around a 2.5 to a 3-point line. So, this is dependent upon when you took it. But for Northwestern, you had Ryan Langbord get ejected from this game on a call that was just absolutely egregious. I don't know how they called that a flagrant, I believe it's 2 that gets you thrown out. Because I think that one is just where you get the technical. I might have that reversed, but they gave him a flagrant. He got thrown out of the game. That's just the main just of that. But for Rutgers, they did a nice job making this game very, very just gross in general. And now for Northwestern, with them having Ty Berry out of the fold, I have to wonder where they go from here because off the bench, you had Justin Mullins who had, I believe, not scored all season long, had to give the team eight points. So they're just running out of bodies at this point with Ryan Langbord having to see the bench for the rest of the game in the first half. And for Rutgers, they were able to get some production. 15 points. Uh, Jeremiah Williams is all of a sudden be able to give this team a sign of life, but yet another under for Rutgers. And then if you're looking at one of your top over teams in all of college basketball this season, the old Denver Pioneers. They entered in the night 17 overs to just five unders. As of right now, they're on a little bit of an over trajectory against North Dakota. Second half has just started 43 to 39. Denver is currently trailing. Total of 158 and a half. They've just been an absolute flamethrower with their offense, with Tommy Bruner being the top scorer in all of college basketball, though Tuki Tanamo had a double double pretty much in the first half. 17 points, 10 rebounds. So that has been intriguing to take a look at. Queens NC has been another team that has been playing a whole bunch of overs for you. 19 overs to just six unders. We're going to be seeing them on Friday. A lot of the Atlantic Sun teams, they did play on Wednesday and Thursday. They're one of the teams that are going to be playing on Friday. So 
going to get some happy action fun time out there. And then for UTSA, with what we did see from them on Thursday, they're now up to 17 overs to just 7 unders as far this season as they were able to play their game against Charlotte to the over. That was the closing total more around 146-146 half. And then do have to give a little bit of shine to this team out there in the big sky as well. You've been seeing a lot of overs as far this season. When it comes to Northern Colorado, 15 overs to just 7 unders. Game just started against Portland State. They went scoreless the first two and a half minutes, but obviously very very early on there, but we shall see what happens on that front. Along with Long Beach State, they were another team that was 15 overs to 7 unders entering into Thursday as well and with Long Beach State, their game just getting started against UC Davis up 46 to 30 at that. This was a closing total in that neighborhood about 153 and a half. So right now on trajectory with that regard and if you're taking a look at the entire landscape of college basketball it has been quite a bit of an overwhelming season and in the last seven days, it's been a little bit more 50-50, 140 overs, 137 unders with quite a few games that are pending for Thursday, and I believe we've had four pushes along the way, but home underdogs starting to make a little bit of a push. 52, 41, and 3 against the spread in the last seven days, and once again, with some results pending for Thursday, that's a 55.9% hit rate. Meanwhile, take a look overall for the season. Home underdogs still taking it on the chin just a little bit. 563, 575, and 20 against the spread. Meanwhile, overs continued at about 51.3%. 2,136 overs, 2,024 under. So that's what we're seeing right now in college basketball, and that's what we all got on Thursday. Coming up next, we're going to be taking a look at Friday's games, taking a look at the mid-major landscape, and some of the teams that our good friend Matt Josephs, who does great work over at FTN Network, is feeling bullish and bearish on. That's up next, right here on Coast Coast Seeps with myself, Greg Eats Peterson, now a part of the Family Bye. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating Cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. 
and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James! LeBron James! And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back here in Lovey, Las Vegas. For Jessica Soups with myself, Craig Heaps Peterson, now part of the Beast Family and Podcast. It is always great to be joined by this fan as Matt Josephs. You know him better as mid-major Matt. He's doing an absolutely impeccable job taking a look at this great game of college basketball. He's over there at ESPN Radio in Richmond, Virginia, taking a look at the show Border to Border. He does a great job day in and day out with that. I know that he's covering really the entire landscape of 
Richmond Athletics. That includes VCU. That includes the Richmond Spiders. But all 362 Division One college basketball teams, he's got them covered. Also does great work over at FTM Bets. And you're able to follow my Twitter slash X at MidMajorMatt altogether. And Matt, it's always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you. Yes, uh, always a pleasure being on with you and looking forward to talking some college basketball. I am as well, Matt. And Matt, just what have you been making out of the landscape of mid-majors the last few weeks? Because unlike in past years, it does feel like there's a little bit more of a divide in a lot of these conferences between the haves and the have-nots. Certainly the Atlantic 10 has been a little bit, shall we say, jumbled up at the top with teams like Richmond being able to rise up. Certainly Dayton has been able to as well. But I've been noticing that in a lot of these conferences, it does feel a little bit like we've got sort of that top tier where you've got like your top one. Sometimes it's two to three teams. And then there's just really a best of the rest when it comes to a lot of these mid-majors. Yeah, and I feel like that's just, you know, clear recruiting and NIL differences in some of these conferences. And now's kind of the time when I start picking my regular season champions and the champions that I hope represent the conferences because there are some mid-majors who I think are going to throw some upsets out there. You look at a Charleston or a UNC Wilmington, the CAA. You mentioned Dayton or a Loyola Chicago, VCU or Richmond. Like, if they all get the right matchups in March Madness, they should be able to potentially win a game or two. So now's kind of the time to look at these conferences, look at the top and say, you know, this team, if they see a team that has this style of basketball, they might have an upset or two in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, we certainly have been seeing some juggernaut teams. I recognize that they lost a little bit earlier in the week, but Indiana State has been a machine. McNeese has been one of those teams as well. And a team that is looking to climb up in the Atlantic 10 standings is going to be a team that we're going to be seeing on Friday. And I know that you get to see this team quite a bit up close and personally with VCU. They're going to be on the road facing off against St. Louis. And right now, most places are posting up a line of VCU being a five-point road favorite in this one. How do you decipher both this matchup for VCU and then moving forward? Because with VCU, it's one of the harder teams to gauge since they have had so many guys be out of the fold, like Joe Bejmeli, like having Sean Barris out for the beginning part of the season. So it does almost feel like some of those first games without him do need to be not necessarily completely thrown away, but taken a little bit more with a grain of salt, in my opinion. Yeah, this is a team that has not had their full rotation, it feels like, for more than five or six games. I mean, obviously, you mentioned Bama Seal and you mentioned Bear Stow, and obviously Zeb Jackson has missed a game or two. Fats Billups has been out. There's been some other guys who have missed a game or two. So it's really hard to grade this VCU team. And, you know, I had Zeb Jackson on my show earlier this week, and he talked about how they still think their best basketball is ahead of them. And I kind of agree. And you look at this matchup against St. Louis, when you look at VCU, they're a top 10 three-point percentage defense. Well, it seems like the only thing that St. Louis does well in terms of offense is shooting threes. And I don't think that's necessarily going to happen here. You look at that 85-61 game at the Siegel Center, and guess what? They shot four of 20. Gibson Jimerson, who is a local product, only had two points in his return to Richmond. And it's almost like VCU said, all right, we're going to take away your best three-point shooter. And one of them obviously is Jimerson. So, you know, the scene kind of changes. Obviously, St. Louis is going to play a little different at home, but this is the same St. Louis team that lost by two at home to Fordham. They lost by 11 at home to UMass. They lost by 23 at home to Davidson. Now, I think LaSalle woke them up a little bit because, you know, they went to LaSalle and won 102-84 and then had that close loss at St. Joe. But I just don't think St. Louis matches up well with here with VCU. If they clamp down defensively on the three-point line, the Rams should win this game rather easily. Yeah, but I do agree with you. I personally made VCU more of a seven-point favor personally, so I'm taking a look at the Rams in this spot. I do think that they are going to have something to say about the Atlantic 10 moving forward. As you're on me on the show, we do have Matt Josephs, better known as mid-major. Matt joining me right here on Coast Coast Soup says, while well, the Atlantic 10 teams, they are going to be playing on Saturday, though. We do get that nice Sunday game as well between Loyola Chicago and Rhode Island. I always do love when we always get 
one or two Atlantic 10 games on Sunday. But how do you just take a look at the landscape of the conference? Because I think that's very clear that Dayton is the top team in this conference or the team that's ranked in the top 25. But Richmond has been able to do some nice work as well. And then I feel like outside of Richmond and also Dayton, it's just really a best of the rest with your teams like VCU, UMass, St. Joe's, Loyal, Chicago. You're able to go down the list. It just feels like there's a very, very big second tier of teams between like three through seven or eight, depending upon how you want to grade them out. Yeah, and obviously Loyola Chicago lost to both Richmond at home early in conference play and VCU on the road, so that is not going to help them. They play Dayton Friday, March 1st as part of that Friday package that ESPN2 does, which I absolutely love because it kind of gives an opportunity for this conference to showcase itself. I think UMass gave a blueprint on how to beat Richmond. It's the same problem Richmond has had for years. They're a tough team, but they're not like a physically tough team. Whenever you go and you out-rebound them and you out-tough them, you're going to beat the Richmond Spiders. And UMass, one of the best teams that offensive rebounding that's all they did was they missed a bunch of shots and then they got the rebounds and then either got to the free throw line or just got a better shot closer and richmond's offense just didn't show up we know how well they play at home i think the spiders are going to bounce back on saturday against gw we know how bad the revolutionaries have been and the irony of that is they lost that game to dayton then they had a team meeting and they continued to play bad so i don't think the team meeting really mattered so i think richmond's still pretty solid i think obviously if you're an a10 fan and you want two teams in you need somebody to lose the dayton in the championship game could be a VCU, could be a Richmond, could be a St. Joe, who obviously had a pretty decent non-conference uh, schedule themselves outside of that loss to Commerce. It's going to be interesting. The one thing we do know is the one seed rarely wins in the A-10, and that presents opportunities, Greg, for you to bet on who may win the conference tournament because you know that the one seed is no guarantee. Oh, absolutely. We have seen the one seeds have their issues in the LA 10 tournament. I mean, it feels like every single year that's one of the crazier ones. Arch Madness is one that I absolutely love as well. We always seem to see some chaos there, and then do not forget about the Sun Belt as well. The Sun Belt, that can be very hot and heavy when it comes to that front as well. Joining me on the show, we do have Matt Josephs, a.k.a. Mid-Major Matt, joining me on Coast to Coast Hoops. And on Friday, we typically don't get a ton of games, but we do get two conferences that come to the forefront. And that would be the MAC with two A's. I always call it the MAAC personally. And then we've got the Ivy League as well. Is there anything with regards to these two conferences, whether that be a game or two for Friday or a team or two that you do have your eye on? Especially, I do want to highlight a little bit the Ivy League because I do think that there are a few teams out there that if they are able to win the conference tournament and make the NCAA tournament, that they could be quite pesky this season. Yeah, I mean, certainly you talk about Princeton, 17-3, and 5-2 and two in conference. Uh, you know, people will think, well, wait a second, that's pretty good. That's only third in the conference with Yale at 7-0 and and Cornell at 6-1. and one. And, you know, this is kind of the time now that the Super Bowl's over. I think even more people start gravitating over the college basketball. And the one thing that's going to stick to some people is how bad Penn is. I mean, usually Penn is in this in this top four. You're usually saying, all right, where's Penn going to be in terms of the rankings and everything? And this is a bad Penn team. And the one thing you kind of look at is their defense. They don't force any turnovers, and they basically don't play any sort of defense. Now, look, they play Yale. And it, the interesting thing is they played Yale 13 days ago. So obviously, they're pretty familiar with each other. Penn has not played too many home games as of late. Five of their last six are on the road. Actually, if you go back, eight of their last 10 were on the road. So they would be welcome to play at the Palestra. They had a close loss at home against Harvard. I expect a better effort from Penn in this sort of situation. I still think Yale kind of wins, but I remember there's a difference between just winning outright and covering. I think we might see a really solid Penn effort here because they're finally at home uh, and they get a really good opponent in Yale. Yeah, they do get a really good opponent in Yale and I take a look at those two top teams out there in the Ivy League, Princeton and Yale. They played a really good game a few weeks ago and man, both of those teams are going to be oh so dangerous and I do think that it's going to be interesting 
interesting to take a look at that Cornell versus Harvard game that we are going to be getting on Friday as well, because this is one Cornell is a nine point favorite. And as you know, this Cornell team, they absolutely play with their hair on fire. And something that I think is so interesting about the Ivy League games for Friday, a lot of these games are rematches of what we saw a few weeks ago, because Harvard versus Cornell is a game that we saw two weeks ago. Cornell, they went on the road, won that game by double figures, got to 89 points in that game. How do you handle these sorts of rematches? Because I take a look at Cornell winning on the road by double figures against Harvard the first time around, and I just find it hard to see any result other than that. And I look at this total of 156, and it just seems low for a Cornell team that has been getting to 75-plus at will. Yeah, and certainly Cornell's home, and we know that they're going to play better at home. You look at even that Princeton game. They didn't even play fast. It was 69 possessions, and Cornell still put up 83 points. So you certainly think, you know, Cornell is good for probably about 80 or so. And then you kind of look at Harvard and, you know, Harvard's offense is pretty good. They've got some solid numbers. Uh, They're not shooting the three very well in conference play. And they're certainly not shooting free throws well, but they're pretty efficient when it comes to the two pointer. So it's kind of tough. I don't necessarily love playing some of these rematches. A year we had COVID and all those teams played back to back. That was pure havoc because you were just basically saying, all right, well, what happened in the first meeting was going to happen in the second meeting a couple days later in the same venue. We're not getting that situation situation here. So I take a look at the first box score. I see if there's any anomalies. Does a bad three-pointing shooting team have a really good night? Does a good three-point shooting team have a bad night? Are they better at home? Are they better at the road? So you kind of have to dissect the box score of the first game and carry that over to the second game. And I'm so glad that you take a look at teams that might vary a little bit home to road as well, because that's been something that's been having a lot of success for me this season. As Matt Joseph's better known as mid-major, Matt does tremendous work over at FDN Network, along with ESPN Radio Richmond, joins me right here on Coast Coast. I'm not sure if you've been using that at home, but I've been noticing that the home and road splits, it does feel like they've been a little bit more demonstrative this year than in past years. So a little bit of a two-part question. How much do you utilize those splits? And have you been noticing as well that it's been a little bit of bigger anomalies at home versus on the road this season? It's funny because I don't take... I. I so this is me personally. I don't take a lot of road favorites because I'm just kind of worried. If or The only time I'll take a road favorite is when I can kind of money line things because obviously free throw shooting, weird things, back doors, all that stuff, so on and so forth. But like the majority of a lot of the home teams that I've taken, the short numbers, it feels like they're covering and they're winning these games because we know how good home court is. Obviously, COVID's gone. You've got your full uh, crowds and everything like that. And yeah, teams just play better at home. It's one of those things where like you look at Purdue and how they score almost every time they score 80 points at home plus it feels like. And so it's one of those things where everybody just feels comfortable at home. The crowd's not against you. You get to hear your coach. You get to hear your play calls and things like that. So yeah, I have noticed that the home teams have been a better bet as of late. Yeah, it's been really big for me as well. And it's something that you do want to identify. Now, sometimes you get these teams at home that just get a little bit too inflated. And there are some weird teams. Like I'm looking at you, Oakland, who's giving up 10 points fewer per 100 possessions on the road rather than at home that you do have to do a little bit of a reversal there. But certainly that has been a lot of fun to take a look at. And Matt, I know you do a great job really being able to highlight all 362 Division One teams. And as we know, this is a little bit of a thin board for Friday. So are there a few teams in general they could be playing on Saturday, Sunday, maybe a little bit further down the line next week that you're a little bit bullish or a little bit bearish on? And Bryce, you've been having some success either betting or fading them. I'll talk about North Florida, who's playing on Friday night. And North Florida is a team that has the perfect over uh, resume. You look at what they do. They're very good on offense. They play with a little bit of pace and they're very 
bad on defense. You look at that Queens game, it was a 93-79 game. I had the over in that Central Arkansas game. It was a little lower than I thought, and I had the over in that North Alabama game. And so once again, now you have them traveling to Kennesaw State, and we know what Kennesaw State does. They run, 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 run. Now, there's always that freakish thing that happens where sometimes teams start playing defense. That Jacksonville effort on Wednesday, I had the over in that game, and I unfortunately fell short. I thought we were going to see more from Kennesaw State. and Jacksonville, even though they don't play as fast, they still have higher scoring games against the speedier teams in the Atlantic Sun. So I might look at potentially the over in Kennesaw State and North Florida. And then look, you know, a couple of teams that I like, you mentioned it, unfortunately, the Indiana State loss. And I think it's frustrating for me as a mid-major guy that Indiana State is not allowed to have one bad night. Granted, it was a really bad night against ISU Red, and they probably shouldn't have lost that game. But like, while they do that, let's say somebody like Purdue may lose to somebody bad and everybody's like, oh, okay. We don't give the same margins to the mid-majors that we do. And Indiana State's a great team. And I'm not just saying that because I'm holding a 95 to one ticket. They make the final four. But I just think their offense is just so poetry in motion. Another team that I kind of like is Wake Forest. Obviously, they had a tough effort at at Duke. And a lot of people are going to have a tough effort at Duke. But to me, like when I'm looking right now and I'm looking at some futures and things that I want to just sprinkle a little bit on, they're not usually full unit bets. They're just sprinkles. I sprinkled a little on Wake Forest because you know what? Wake Forest to make the final four, if they obviously make it, which they're no guarantee, They've got a tremendous offense, and their defense is just good enough that if they play a little bit of defense, they can win a game 84-72, you know, 82-70 to or something like that. I'm looking for offenses. I'm looking at for teams that when they get nuclear hot, they can go and run their way through the tournament. And even if they get slightly cold, maybe they have a little bit of defense. Also, I'm still huge on Virginia. I know they just lost to Pittsburgh. I think Virginia, if they get the right bracket, and it's so funny because they keep saying, you know, that pack line defense is really tough to prepare for in that 48 48- hour turnaround, whether it's Thursday, Saturday, Friday, Sunday. Of course, they don't win the first game, so I can't have that 48-hour turnaround. But I think this Virginia team, if they can figure out the offense, they're kind of lying under the weeds a little bit because everybody's talking about Carolina. Everybody's talking about Duke. People are talking about Wake Forest. I feel like we're somewhat forgetting about Virginia, and that's when they kind of get you in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, Ben, with this Virginia bunch, they've been so good at generating turnovers this season as well. They've never been bad at generating turnovers, but this year it's just been on a completely different level. So if they're able to continue that that makes them all the more difficult to be able to prepare for and I'm so glad that you mentioned Wake Forest as well a team that has been playing better on defense this year than they did a season ago and you were mentioning it with teams being able to make a run thanks to their offense look no further than Miami and what they were able to do in the NCAA tournament last season and that does lead me to wanting to highlight this one game for Friday as well because I do feel like this team is probably not going to make a run to the final four or anything like that but this New Mexico team has actually been quite good on defense and as we know this is a team that's able to get hot with regards to their offense they're going to be playing against San Diego State on Friday with San Diego State being a five and a half point favorite total 153 how do you take a look at both this matchup and New Mexico moving forward because I do think that this is a Lobos bunch and I'm going to be bullish on moving forward because they're another team much like we were mentioning with VCU that was without a lot of their pieces towards the beginning part of the season and this team does both a good job on offense and on defense well obviously you've got a San Diego State team that is coming off the 16 point home win against Colorado State they've already beaten Utah State by 14 at home I mean they pretty much demolish everybody at home and they've got revenge after they get ran out of the pit early in January. You know, the only way I would potentially look at San Diego State. And the one thing that I'm interested in is 
Is Mount West going to play better this year in the NCAA tournament? We could get, once again, four or five teams. And outside of San Diego State, they all went terrible. And I say that as a guy who you know was into Utah State. I thought they might have had a chance to beat Missouri last year. But, I mean, there's no reason to believe in the Mountain West. After the past couple of years, this conference outside of San Diego State has just fallen on their face time and time again. New Mexico feels like one of those teams. It's so funny because in past years, New Mexico has somewhat been a home court hero because the pit has been so good. Well, they already lost at home to Boise State, and they already lost at home to UNLV, so you can't say that for 100%. But yes, you're right. You can't grade New Mexico completely because a lot of their rotation hasn't been around so far this season. You look at the roster, and you see they've played 25 games, and they've played one game against a lower-level team. And you look at, all right, how many guys have played in every game so far this season? Only four have played in every game so far this season. That's really tough to kind of get around a little bit. So yeah, we can't grade New Mexico completely yet, but going to San Diego State, where they just demolish everybody with revenge, I would lean to the Aztecs in this situation. San Diego State has been a completely different animal at home, though I will say this. I'd be surprised if they hold New Mexico to 11 points in the second half, much like they did against Colorado State. That was one of the more dramatic turnarounds I've ever seen in a college basketball game. Colorado State was up by double figures at the half, and being someone that had Colorado State on Tuesday, that was a little bit tough. But one thing that I can grade is an A-plus for this man. Matt always delivers the goods when he's on this podcast. Matt, I know that you're doing such great work over there at ESPN Radio, Richmond, FTN Network, and so much more. So let the good people at home know it's on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Yes, at Mid-Major Matt, we're getting close to the NCAA tournament, conference tournaments as well. I like to think that there's definitely some value in some of these smaller tournaments and whether they're futures or whether they're game to game. So certainly we all have the same goal. We all want to beat the books. And then, of course, as we know, pitchers and catchers reported this week. So baseball is coming. Looking forward to betting on K-props and all that fun stuff and joining you during baseball season as well. Follow me on Twitter at MidMajorMatt and check out my work at FTMBets.com. Absolutely. And hopefully MLB addresses these uniforms that are looking a little bit less than impressive. But a man that is very impressive is Matt. He does such a great job on the baseball front, on the football front. Every single time he joins this podcast, always does a great job taking a look at this great game that we all know and love of college basketball as well. Big thanks to Matt for joining me on Cause Cause part of the Beast Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. They give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Friday as we have some big shots. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you 
straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here in Lovey, Las Vegas, for Coast to Coast Soups with myself, Greg Eames Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. It is always a pleasure to get mid-major Matt, a.k.a. Matt Joseph, support. He does such good work taking a look at this great game of college basketball. An absolute wealth of knowledge, and every single time he joins this show, I feel like we get just a little bit smarter. So, big thanks to Matt for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Friday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter slash XV at unit underscore D1, and we're going to be going in the last second dissertation order 
Pretty much this means that the two games in the Atlantic Sun are going to be at the bottom and everything else that is going to be at the top in time order. So that'll keep things all nice, neat, clean, and easy. And our DK Network right pick is actually going to be the first game. 871-872, Harvard hits the road. They're facing off against Cornell. Cornell is a favorite of eight and a half to nine points. Tonon's game is 156. And my right up here is on the over. I set my total at a 161 half. These two teams played two weeks ago, and both of these teams were able to get past the 75-point plateau. Cornell was able to win that game 89-76, to and there's absolutely no reason why to think that Cornell is going to be scoring under 80 points in this game. The Big Red, they're 44th overall in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, but they're much more efficient when they're at home. They're 30th in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis at home, and this team plays at warp speed. They're in the top 55 with regards to total possessions per game, and it's such an interesting bunch because Cornell, they launch a bunch of their shots from three. In home games, they take 48.5% of their shots from three-point range. That's in the top 15 in all of college basketball. But you take away the three-point line, and, well, you've got the number one two-point shooting team in all of college basketball. Cornell at home shooting north of 70% from inside of the three-point arc. No other team shoots above 65.6%. That'd be great, and that clocks in at number two. So this Cornell team can beat you in a wide variety of ways. Now, Harvard is not the world's worst three-point shooting defense. They're about 85th, 86th in the country. They're allowing opponents to shoot just a tick below 32.5% from three-point range. But they got lit up the first time around. Last time these two teams played, you had this Cornell team be able to go 11 of 28 from three-point range. And for Harvard. It's been a little bit of lackadaisical defense recently. Now, the good news is a team that was dealing with so much injury towards the beginning part of the season, they've got a lot of their guys back in full, like Justice Asia Barr. He is back, but he's been playing on a more limited basis recently. He's only been able to give the team right around about 15 and a half minutes for contest last few games, so that's a bit of an issue. You do have Malik Mack, who's your top scorer, 18 and a half points, shoots 40% from three, and this bunch does shoot about 34 and a half percent from three. They go up against Cornell team that overall this season, they're allowing punish to shoot 31.7% from three. That is 65th in the country, but in a road and neutral court environment, that does balloon up to 32.6%. That's more around 167. So, there should be some nice open looks for Harvard in this game. They go up against the Cornell Bunch as okay, being able to generate turnovers. They're inside the top 175 with that regard, but I do think that Harvard, they're going to be able to have some free-flowing offense in this one. Chisholm Opara has been able to give you about 16.5 points per contest, but you just have a wave of guys on this Cornell front that do such an amazing job of being able to put the ball in the basket. This Cornell team does not have a single guy that gives you north of five rebounds per game, but each other top six scores give you at least three rebounds per game. You've got Chris Mannon who's able to give you 12 points. Really, he and Isaiah Gray are your main facilitators, though. You've also been able to get about three assists per contest out of Nizier Williams, and you've just got a better of different guys are able to pop it from three-point range. Pretty much everyone out there on the floor is able to do so. Keller Boothby being your most efficient three-point shooter at 44.4%, but this Cornell team, you just have everyone being able to pop it from three. They do a really good job of being able to speed things up, and their defense, well, it is a case where it doesn't see too much of a bump at home. They only give up 1.9 points fewer per one-hour possessions at home, rather than in a road or neutral court environment, 225th in the country, 
terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. It's a Harvard team that has been all over the place in terms of their production, but now this team has been able to get to at least 75 points in each of their last two games. Defense has been very up and down. They've given up 60 points for fear in two of their last four games. They've given up 78 plus in the other two, but this Cornell team has just been very rock solid in terms of their offense. They have gotten to at least 78 points now in four out of their last five games. I do think that they're going to be able to keep this going, and if you want to go 77 plus points, they've been able to do so in all but two of their games since the beginning of the month of December. I think Cornell gets back above 80 points in this one, and they're able to take down this Harvard team once again. That They dominated the first time around on the road. I did some my line to 9.5. I'm going to be willing to lay the 8.5 to 9 with Cornell, but my right up here is on the over. I don't think that Cornell is going to be stopped in this game. 873-874 on the betting board. Ryder plays host of Mount St. Mary. Send them out. Finds themselves as a one-point favorite to a pick em. And your total on this game is 146-147. And with Mount St. Mary's, I did set them as an underdog of three points. I'm going to be one to take Ryder in this pick em game slash as a money line underdog if we're able to get that lucky in the AM with Ryder. It's been a rough team from three-point range. They're shooting still only about 32-32.5% from distance, but it's much improved from what it was towards the beginning part of the season. This team was in all sorts of a funk to begin the campaign, and your top two scorers have really been able to elevate with this regard. Mervyn James, TJ Weeks, they're both combining shoot about 37.5% from distance. James is going to be the most versatile player out there in this game. 18.5 points, 6.5 boards, a steal, a block per contest, while Weeks is able to give you about 10.5 points per contest. Now with Ryder, they do clock in while outside the top 200 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Um, there should be open looks for a Mount St. Mary's team that has been really cranking up their tempo. Typically, when you think Mount St. Mary's, you think of a team that's pretty slow, pretty controlled, but they're now in the top 125 in terms of total possessions per game. Big key for them, they do need to do a better job of not turning the ball over. This is a bunch that, in terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis, they are well outside the top 300 in all of college basketball. They had a changing of the guard. Jalen Benjamin was their point guard last season. Dakota LaFue that was playing off the ball. Now he is having to bring up the ball, and that has led to some issues but he's been able to lock it in a little bit more himself. And this is a Mount St. Mary's team that they themselves, I was mentioning it with Ryder, the fact that they are giving it up from three-point range. Mount St. Mary's has been having some issues on this front as well. For the Mount, they do allow opponents to shoot right in the neighborhood about 34% from three and in a roadside shoot court environment that does balloon to about 37% from the outside while Ryder at home allows opponents to shoot 34.5% from three-point range. That said, I do think that with Ryder, they are going to be able to do a good job of be able to win the battle down low. You've got three of your top four scores be able to give you north of 6.3 rebounds per game with Tariq Ingram. Chipping in there about 6.5 boards per contest. So Mount St. Mary's actually has the relatively same rebound rate, even though they don't have a single guy in the roster that gives you north of 4.7 rebounds per game. The Bidola Igbayo, who's been able to give you about 4.6 boards per contest. I do think that in the end, Ryder is going to be able to generate just enough turnovers to be able to get this one in. And I do think that with the way that Mount St. Mary's is playing a little bit faster, but it's just turning the ball over a lot. And the fact that Mount St. Mary's, they themselves, give it up 66 points for fear in three of their last five games is going to be able to keep this game a little bit lower scoring. I did set my total at 143, so here at the 146-147, I'm diving in on the under. with Ryder taking them as a pick em slash a money line underdog. 875-876 on the betting board. St. Peter's plays OC Siena. Siena is an underdog of 9.5 points, and your total on this game is between 124 and 125, and I did set Siena as an underdog of 13.5 points, so I'm going to be willing to lay it with St. Peter's. Good news for Siena is that it does feel like they're going to have their main guys back out there in the fold, as they've been dealing with injuries all season long to both Michael Ely and Sean Durugarn. Both of these guys have missed 10-plus games this season, and these two guys, they combine for about 35 and a half points 
14 boards, but neither really shoots above 31% from three. And for Siena, this team is just all sorts of inefficient. They shoot less than 40% from the floor, 64% free line. And in terms of turnovers on a per possession basis, they're a bottom 10 team in all of college basketball. This is a relatively solid team with regards to rebound rate, as you've been able to have Giovanni Amaruju be able to give you about six points per contest, and Michael Ivabero. Hopefully, I said that correctly. He's been able to give you about six points, four and a half rebounds per game. But Ivabaru has been out for the last few games due to injury as well, as this team just has not been able to stay healthy all season long. And then, got a St. Peter's team has been dealing with quite a few ailments of their. On. They were without their top rebounder, Michael Hoagie, for a little bit of time, but he's back at the full. Corey Washington has been in and out of the fold. He's been out since late January, and do have to figure that he's going to be missing in this game, and that is a bit of a deal for St. Peter's. He's their top scorer, 14.5 points, six boards, shoots in the mid-30s from three-parts, but the way that St. Peter's is really able to generate their offense is via second chances. They're a top 40 team in all of college basketball in terms of percentage of missed shots that do result in an offensive rebound, and this St. Peter's team has just been able to get after it on the defensive side of things. They're a top 100 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And the way that you're able to really hurt the team is by being able to get your free throws because St. Peter's is in the top 20 nationally in terms of percentage of possessions that do end in a foul. So they're going to put you on the free throw line with Siena being a bottom 50 team in college basketball in terms of their free throw shooting percentage. That's a bit of an issue. And while Siena's been absolutely terrible with regards to their offense, well, they've also been terrible with regards to their defense. who are 94th in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Now, they're unlikely to get torched by St. Peter's from three Par range. This bunch is only shooting about 31 or so percent from three par range, but Latrell Reed giving you about 12 points, four boards, four assists. He's got some relatively good versatility. You've got a lot of guys that'll be able to step up and be able to give this team something like an Amarni Ziegler, who's be able to chip in there about seven and a half points, a few boards, a steal per contest. St. Peter's does a really good job of just being able to slow things down as well. They're outside the top 275 in terms of total possessions per game. It's been a little bit rough for the St. Peter's team having lost four straight games, but it has not been due to the defense at all. As a matter of fact, for the St. Peter's team, they have allowed more than 70 points in just two games here in this calendar year, and they have allowed four teams in general this season to be able to bust through and score more than 71 points on them. I do think that this is a low-scoring slog. Semi-total, 123.5. I'm going to be taking a look at the under. And with St. Peter's, I do think that they dominate this bad Siena offense. I'm going to be willing to lay the numbers set St. Peter's as a 13.5-point favorite. 877, 878 on the bank board. VCU hits a road face-off against St. Louis. St. Louis is a five-point home underdog. Seeing a six out there as well. Totals between 143 and 144. I did set VCU as a favorite of seven points. I'm going to be willing to lay the number with VCU. The team has been a top 75 team in the country in terms of rebound rate. This despite the fact that they really don't have anyone that gives you north of six boards per contest. VCU has really been hanging their head on defense. They're outside the top 250 in terms of total possessions per game. Part of it has been due to injuries. They've been having Sean Bearsow be in and out of the fold both due to injury and due to eligibility concerns, but now he's back in the fold. He's someone that's able to generate for the team double figures. And then for VCU you down low. Been able to get a bit of production out of Toby Lyle. He's been able to give you about five and a half rebounds per game and though St. Louis is a bunch that does have someone in Terrence Hargrave who's able to match that amount of rebounds, for St. Louis as a whole, they just don't do a great job of hitting the glass. 324th in all of college basketball. VCU is a top 75 team with regards to rebound rating in St. Louis. Just in all aspects of basketball in terms of the defensive side of things, it's been rough. They're outside the top three in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. The offense has come along for the ride as you've got Hargrave who's been able to give you 12.5 points, shoot 39% from three. You've been able to have Gibson Jimerson shoot 37% from distance. Larry Hughes, the second, shoots more in that neighborhood about 39% from three. 
Jimerson chips in there about 12.5 points per contest, and after he was out for much of the first half of the season, Sincere Parker has sincerely been able to come back in the fold, and he's starting to look a little bit more like himself. He has been able to put up for the team a grand total of 67 points and 15 rebounds in the last two games, shooting 40% from three-point Do you think that he's going to cool down a little bit, though, as you've got Max Schulga, who's been all sorts of versatile for this VCU bunch, chipping in there 14.5 points, five board shoots, 40% from three, and VCU as a whole, they are able to close out games at the free throw line, they shoot 78% of the free throw line. So with this spread at five, if you've got a little bit of a nip and tuck game that does come down to the free throw line, you're able to feel very good there. And this VCU bunch has been quite good at being able to guard the three-point line as well, which is really where we've been noticing Sincere Parker and company being able to make their hey VCU number seven in all of college basketball in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage. And that is a defense that sure as heck does travel as in a road or neutral court environment. Opponents are shooting 25.2% from three-point against them for St. Lewis, they've been able to do a relatively solid job in terms of their offense, but with the way that they have just been getting torched time and time again in terms of their defense, and with the way that VCU saw someone like Joe Bejmili, who's able to give you double figures, he's able to help out in terms of the backcourt, I do think that you've got just enough for this VCU team to go on the road and get the job done. I did set my line at 7, so circumstance where I'm going to be willing to lay the number, and I did set my total at 143. I do think that this has a propensity to have some late game fouling, but I do think that VCU gets their slower style. I do think that we're going to see sincere Parker, after scoring 67 points in the Lions two games, cooled down just a little bit with that respect as well. So, circumstance where I'm going to be willing to take a look at the under, and I'm going to be willing to lay the number with VCU. 879-880 on the banking board. Fairfield plays host to Niagara. Niagara finds themselves as a underdog of 6.5 points, seeing a 6 out there as well. Totals between 147.5 and 148. With Fairfield, I did make them a 9-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay this number with Niagara. This is just not the same defense that we've seen from past seasons. Niagara turns points a lot on a per-possession basis to earn 52nd in all of basketball. I will say this about the Niagara defense. They're actually giving up 6.6 points fewer per one in possessions at home rather than in a road or neutral court environment. And for Niagara, this is a top 35 team. In terms of three-point shooting percentage, has really been able to get some value out of the transfer portal as they bring in Luke Bumbelow. He's been able to give the team a double-figure amount of points. He's shooting in that neighborhood about 40% from three-point range. Kawam Marble really doesn't give you a lot of scoring. He only chips in there about six or seven points per contest, but was a relatively sharp shooter a few seasons ago over at Wyoming. He's been able to shoot north of 44% from three-point range as well, with Obiana being able to do a solid job down low. That's been able to give the team a little bit of a well-roundedness and a bit of an idea identity in general, but I do think that they really are going to be up against it against a Fairfield team that ever since a Can J Young weeks before the start of the season, this team has cranked things up. They're now a top 150 team in terms of total possessions per game. As work to their advantage, are actually giving up fewer points per possession than they did a season ago. And they've got Jasper Floyd, who's one of the most well-rounded players that you're going to find at the mid-major level. Doesn't give you a ton of scoring. He only chips in there about 9.5 points per contest, but 6 boards, 4.7 assists, 2.5 steals. She doesn't shoot it well from 3, but that's why you've got Bryson Goodine, who's able to shoot 45% from three-point range. You've been able to get some relatively good production as well with about 16 points, a seal on that per contest out of your top scorer as well as you've been able to get a lot out of Mr. Jalen Leach, who's been able to come through and has been able to do a really good job for this bunch. And it does come down to with both of these teams, because they are quite prolific from three-point range, which team is going to be able to guard the arc a little bit better? And you do have to lean towards this Fairfield team. Fairfield is a bunch that's outside the top arm with regards to rebound rate, but other than OB you really don't have much for the Niagara team. And Niagara, while they shoot it well from three-point range, they don't guard it well from three-point range. They're allowing opponents to shoot right around 34.2% from three-point range. Yeah. Interestingly for Niagara, they allow opponents to shoot just barely over 30% from three-point range away from them. 37.8% 
from three power range at home. I do think that those splits are going to be ironing out as the things go along, and I do think that we are going to be seeing that balance out just a touch. Meanwhile, Fairfield, 95th in the country in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage at about 32.4%. So, I do think that Fairfield going to find a way to be able to get it done. They're getting a little bit more of Lewis Bleachmore down low with about five and a half rebounds. I think that that's just enough for them to be able to cover this game. I did set Fairfield as a favorite of nine points. Going to be one to lay it in. Did set my total 149. Niagara has cranked up their tempo just a little bit as well. And with them outside the top 240 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, I do think that you get quite a bit of scoring. So looking at the over, and I'm going to be one to lay it with Fairfield. 881, 882 on the card. It is Georgetown playing against Villanova. Villanova is a road favorite of 10 points. And your total on this game is 139 to 139.5. Seth Villanova is a 12-point favorite. I'm going to be one to lay it. Villanova's had their ups and downs this season, but man, this is a bunch that has been the victims of a lot of close losses. I know that they've been dealing with quite a few injuries, Justin Moore being the most prolific of them. That was out of the fold throughout much of late December into early January, but now he's back to be able to give this team just some good facilitation in general. It's more, he has been able to give you more, about 10 points, 2.5 assists. Doesn't shoot a ball from 3, but... Got Eric Dixon, TJ Bamba. Combined shoot about 37% from the outside. Dixon has been able to supply the team with about 16 points per contest. And then Tyler Burton should be able to help this team out down low. He's been able to give the team right around about 7 rebounds per game. Not that this Villanova team is going to just absolutely dominate on the glass or anything like that. They're about our 20th in the country in terms of a rebound rate. But other than Supreme Cook, who's been able to give this Georgetown team about 8 or so rebounds per game, they just don't have a lot down low. Georgetown, as a result, 185th in the country with regards to their rebound rate. Georgetown also just absolutely getting cooked on defense. Outside the top 225 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Been able to get good production out of Jaden Epps. Continues to give you about 17 half points per contest, but this offense really does come and go with him as perhaps he's been inconsistent recently, scoring in the last four games 7, 15, 4, and 17 points. And when he does not score, the team really does go into a rut. And as a result with the, shall we say, roller coaster play of him recently, 72 points or fewer for Georgetown in each of the last four games. You've got Dontre Styles is able to take the load off a little bit, shooting 36.5% from three, but Jay Heath has fallen off to only scoring about 89 points per contest this season. As a whole, Georgetown outside the top 225 in terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis, turned the ball over about 12.5 times per contest, and for Villanova, even though you only have two guys in Bamba and Dixon that score in double figures, you do have a lot of helpers, like Mark Armstrong, who's able to give you 8.5 points per contest. Sometimes it's Hakeem Hart's night, who's able to give you about 7.5 points. Doesn't shooting amazing from three. Got someone in Brandon Housen who plays off the ball. He, once again, is not a well-rounded player, but shoots 42% from three. When you need some scoring, he's there, and he's given the team double figures in each of the last three games, going up against a Georgetown team that, in general, just is in really bad form, and for Villanova, defense has been there for this team. They have given up 60 points or fewer in three out of their last four games, and for that matter, in regulation, they have now given up 64 points or fewer in four out of their last five games. This is a Georgetown team on the flip side that they have given up at least 84 points in four of their last five games, so this this is a situation of something's got to give. One team really slowing things down. One team in Georgetown that's just absolutely bleeding points. I do think that Villanova gets their offense cranked up a little bit more in this one, which is why I did set them as a 12-point favorite, but I just don't know if Georgetown is able to do their part in terms of this total because with this Villanova defense, they are playing some really good basketball, and Villanova does a nice job of really just being able to get their style. Their style is slow, grimy, and controlled Villanova outside the top 275 in terms of total possessions per game. 
up for this Villanova bunch. In terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, they only give up about 2.4 points more per 100 possessions when they leave home, which is why I did set my total more around to 136. I'm willing to trust in the under with the way that Villanova is playing. I'm willing to lay the points with them, set them as a 12-point favorite. 883, 884 on the betting board. Manhattan, they hit the road to facing off against Iona. Iona finds themselves as 12-point favorites with your total between 146 and 146 half. Made Iona a 15-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay this summer. This, despite the fact that Iona does have a little bit of trepidation down low. This team is outside the top 225 in terms of their rebound rate, but you're taking a look at this Manhattan team, and there's just not a lot to be had with this squad. For Manhattan, they've been able to get a bit of production out of Shaquille Bender, who's been able to give you about 13.5 points per contest, and the young freshman in Jaden Winston, he throws in there four and a half assists, eight and a half points per contest, but his team just does not provide a lot down low other than Sidu Traore being able to give you about eight and a half boards per contest. Meanwhile, for Iona, even though they've got their seven-footer Nasbar Cheba back in the fold, this has been a team that's been rough with regards to rebounding as Gordon is the only guy in the roster that does give you north of four rebounds per game. He's supplied 16 points, seven boards, shoots in the mid-30s from three-par range, but they're going up against a Manhattan team that's outside the top 300 themselves in terms of their rebound rate. For Manhattan, they're well outside the top 275 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and for Manhattan, they allow opponents to shoot about 34.5% from three. That is 235th in all of college basketball. Meanwhile, this Iona squad has been a top 40 team in all of college basketball in terms of turnover sports on a per possession basis, though Joel Brown has not provided a lot of scoring. He has been able to generate about two steals per contest. He throws in there about three to three and a half assists per game, so he's been a nice facilitator of the offense. Iona, they do have a little bit of kryptonite with the long shots from the outside. They're about 213th of the country in terms of three-point shooting percentage defense, but offense has been there for the team, even though Brown has not provided a lot of scoring. He does shoot 39% from three-point range, and then you've had Javon quickly be able to give you about three assists. He's now shooting 42% from three-point range. Just feels like with every passing game, he's been getting better and better with 10 points per contest. Gene, I hope I say this correctly, Anur Gurin, he's been able to give you about nine and a half points. Gentleman from Venezuela has been able to shoot 50% from three-point range, so he has been tremendous. Meanwhile, you've got a Manhattan team that they're just not going to be able to exploit that soft Iona three-point shooting defense as they only shoot about 31% from distance themselves with Brent Ruppel still being out of the fold. It has been rough for this Manhattan offense. I do think that Iona is going to be able to take it to them. Iona, a relatively mid-tempo team this season, so I just don't think that you get this Manhattan team to be able to give you a whole heck of a lot in terms of the offensive side of things. Things, but with the way that they're just bleeding points, I think you get just enough for the over. I set my toe at 147. Here at the 146, I'm looking at the over. And with Iona, I did set them as a 15-point favorite. As far as Iona, I do have to give them a little bit of credit where credit is due. This team has been able to get to 74-plus points in three of their last four games. Going up against a man and team that sound giving up at least 77 in four of their last five games, which is why I am on the over in this spot. And I set Iona as a 15-point favorite, so also going to be willing to lay it. 885, 886 on the bank board. Maris plays those Kanishas. Canisius is an underdog of 5 to 5.5 five points. Your total is 132 to 132.5. I did set Maris as a favorite of 4 points, so you're at the 5 to 5.5. Five I'm going to be willing to take those points with Canisius. Canisius has fallen on some very tough times in terms of their offense, but it's still a better offense than Maris, who is outside the top 300 in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. For Canisius, the squad has been able to get past the 71-point plateau in just once out of their last 13 games, and that was against Manhattan, so that has been a little bit less than savory, but you know, look at this Maris team, and it's just been a bunch of misfit pieces while the defense, it just continues to be really good. For Maris, they've given up north of 71 points just three times all season long, so there's no question that they're going to be able to do a solid job of locking down here. I just don't think that they have the firepower to be able to 
cover this sort of a number. Max Allen has given you about 12 points, chips in there, a pair of assists for a bunch of that. They do shoot about 35.5% from three-point range, but I do think the Canisius is going to be able to do an okay job of being able to guard the three-point line. Canisius about 134th in off-guard basketball in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. Now, it does really slip side away from them when they do leave home. At home, Canisius is allowing opponents to shoot 27.6% from three. That does balloon to about 36% in a road or neutral court environment, but they do go up against a Maris team that they're really looking to generate turnovers. Maris has been able to do an amazing job being a top 40 team in terms of turnovers forced on a per possession basis. As they're a relatively middle of the road rebounding team, but they really do D you up and they do a nice job of being able to guard both the interior and the exterior. They are in the top 75 in both two point and three point shooting percentage defense, especially when it comes to in conference, but they just don't have those guys themselves that are really able to elevate in terms of being able to dole out the ball and being able to have this offense playing very efficiently as Javon Cooley has been able to give you about six half points per contest to shoot about 43% from three-point range and been able to get about three assists, nine points per contest out of Jamie Collins, but the backcourt has been leaving a lot to be desired. Meanwhile, for Canisius, they should be able to win this battle down low with Frank Mitchell, give you 13 and a half points, 11 and a half rebounds per game. Now, nobody else on the roster really gives you north of five rebounds per game, but you've got Simon Idel along with Trey Dinkins being able to supply the team with about 28 and a half points per contest. Ijun Dadal, hopefully I said that correctly, shoots about 38.5% from three-point range. Dinkins more in the neighborhood, about 37% from the outside. And in a little bit of a nip and duck game, among your top four scores that are going to be active in this game, you've got three of them that shoot at least 82.6% at the free throw line. That is very misleading because Kanisha's overall shoots 64% at the free throw line. And Maris, they themselves are outside of 70% at the free throw line as well. So both of these teams have had their issues there. But I do think that Frank Mitchell going to do a solid job down low. And even though Kanisha's has been really struggling with their offense, so as Maris, I do think that this is a nip and tuck game. So I did set my total at 132. Here to 132.5. I do think that the defense wins out. Looking at the under, recognize that the first time these two teams met, it was 80 to 71. In that game, Maris shot 10 of 19 from three-point range. I just don't see lightning striking twice with regards to that. So I'm going to be looking at the under. And at north of five, going to be one to take the points with Canisius. 887, 888 on the betting board. Columbia plays host to Dartmouth. And Dartmouth is an 8.5 to a 9-point underdog with your total 135.5 to a 136.5. With regards to the total, I did set my total at 134.5. I'm looking at the under. Dartmouth has played less than 25% of their games so the over this season. It's been a big, giant issue for them. And when it comes to this Columbia team, I did make them an 8.5 point favorite. So now at 9, that would be my buy point on Dartmouth. As Dartmouth, it's been rough for them on offense. No question about it. They're outside the top 330 turns points scored on a per possession basis. But it does feel like the light is starting to come on for them a little bit. With Dartmouth, the defense has not been terrible. They've given up 72 points or fewer in three of their last four games. Offense still very much stuck in the mud. 60 points or fewer in four of their last five games. You really need to get Ryan Cornish going. Last year he was a double-figure scorer. So he may be able to give the team seven points per contest. And this team as a whole, they do shoot just 28.2% from three-point range. But they go up against Columbia bunch that does not really have a lot of rough and tumble down low. So Dusan Deskovic, Brandon Mitchell Day being able to combine for about 10 rebounds per game. That should be able to hold up against a Columbia team that's about 169th in all of college basketball. With regards to rebound rate, Dartmouth, they're more around 300th, but when you've got someone like a Blair Thompson, who's been able to give the team about 45, 46% three-point shooting and staying six foot eight, you'd expect a little bit more than about four or so rebounds per contest. Columbia really only has one guy on the roster that gives you north of five rebounds per game, so they are a little bit vulnerable 
vulnerable there. Now, I absolutely love what they're able to get in the backcourt as you've got Geronimo Rubio De La Rosa, who's been able to give you 13 points, three assists, shoots in the high 30s, low 40s from three-point range, and has been able to cut down on the turnovers for past years as well. Fewer than two turnovers per contest is for a Columbia team that they do shoot 38% from three-point range. Dartmouth has had all sorts of issues this year. They're not the world's worst three-point shooting defense when they're at home. Now, on the road, it's been slip-sliding away from them. They allow opponents to shoot north of 40% from three-point range away from home. That compares to 29% from three-point range when they're at home. I do think that that is going to iron out just a little bit. In Columbia, they've been able to guard the arc very well as well. They're a top 90 team in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage, but with Dartmouth, the way that they don't have three-point shooters right now, they're going to be looking to kick the ball down low anyway, and that's where Columbia can be had a little bit more as you've been able to get some relatively okay production out of Zeke Adine Badri. He's another guy that has size, that's able to shoot in the high 30s from three-point range, and has been a very productive, just sort of versatile, do-it-all sort of big man. But that said, that does lead to Columbia being a little bit vulnerable on the inside. Columbia, in terms of opponents' two-point shooting percentage, is 285th in all of college basketball, and at home, that does balloon to outside the top 300 with that regard. Meanwhile, you've got a Dartmouth team that, in a roadside shooter court environment, they actually allow opponents to shoot from two-point range worse than they do when they are at home. So, I do think that Dartmouth is going to get carved up from three-point range, but I do think that they're going to force things enough inside to be able to hold in this game. I do think that they themselves, having Mitchell Day and Deskovich down low, that's going to be able to keep them lively in Dartmouth with 12 turnovers for contest. That's pretty much on par with Columbia. Columbia does play a little bit faster, so in terms of a per-possession basis, Columbia does a little bit of a better job of taking care of the ball, but I do think that Dartmouth team that's well outside the top 250 in terms of total possessions per game. So this, this game down makes it a little bit more defense oriented to hold in there. Semi-total 134 and a half. Looking at the under. Now with Dartmouth willing to take the 9 with them. 889 890 on the betting board. It is Penn. They play OC Yale. Yale is a road favorite of 6 to 6 and a half points. Totals between 138 and 138 and a half. With Yale, I did make them a favorite of 6 points. So 6 and a half is my buy point on Penn. This Yale team has been quite incredible in terms of their defense recently. They got off to a really shaky start out of conference. They are well outside the top one in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And Yale's coming off of giving up 78 points to Cornell. That's just what you're going to get when you go up against Cornell. So if you look in regulation and you take out the full that Cornell game in the previous 13 games, they had given up 70 points or fewer in regulation in 12 of them. So I do think that Yale's going to be able to do a good job holding up on defense, even though Yale is still outside the top 80 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They've been completely different this time of year rather than when they were playing in late November early December, and you've got Danny Wolf down low, who is able to spy you with about 15 half points, 9 half boards, shoots 41% from three-point range. You've also got John Polodikas, who shoots 44% from three-point range. August Mahoney shoots about 41% from distance. Polodikas along with Mahoney, combined for about 22 points per contest. Other than Wolf, you don't have a single guy that gives you north of 5 plus rebounds per game, but it's called what it is when it comes to this Penn team. Not a team that's necessarily amazing on the glass, even though you've got Nick Spinoso, who's been able to give you about 7 or so rebounds per game for this Penn bunch. They're about 78th in the country with regards to their rebound rate. Yale's more in the neighborhood, about 53rd, so Yale does have a little bit of advantage here, but I do think the Penn is going to be able to hold in there. Penn has been dealing with injuries all season long. You've had Clark Slager along with Tyler Perkins being in and out of the fold all season long, but Perkins is now back, and he shoots 35.5% from three, supplies you with about 5.5 rebounds, two assists. He finds a way to be able to impact darn near every single facet of basketball, and for the first time since the turn of the new year, Slager was able to return over the weekend against Princeton. He had 10.6 in 36 minutes. He should be good to go in this one. That is massive for a Penn team that you could tell that without him, they just weren't able to generate the same amount of offense that they were with him in the fold. This is a Penn team that they do need that offense as well because they are well outside the top 200 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And Penn is a bunch that is going to be giving up the arc quite a bit. And Yale does as well. Yale, 
49th in all of college basketball in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. Been relatively on par with that, and as a matter of fact, quite a bit worse than the country in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. So I do think that there's going to be plenty of open looks in this one. I do think that Penn, with dealing with all the injuries, they are going to be slowing down a little bit, and this Yale defense has been completely transformed from what it was at the beginning part of the season, but while Slagert, along with Perkins, that's going to be able to help out Penn on the offensive side of things. I also think that elevates them on the defensive side of things as well. I do think that this is going to be a game that's going to be played a little bit more slowly. It's going to be a little bit of a slog. I did something total 136, looking at the under of the Yale. Made up a six-point favorite, so here's the six half, looking at Penn and looking at the under. 891, 892 on the bang board. Princeton is going to be playing us a Brown. What can Brown do for you? Well, if they lose this game by 12 points or fewer, they'll make you money, as Princeton is a 12.5 point favorite. Your total on this game, it is 141. I did set Princeton as a 13.5 point favorite, so I don't think that Brown is going to be doing that for you. I'm going to be one to lay with Princeton. Princeton, just such a well-rounded team. Top 20 team in all of college basketball in terms of both free throw shooting percentage and fewest turnovers on a per possession basis. They do a really good job in terms of not allowing you a second chance on offense as well as even though they've only got two guys on the roster that gives you north of three and a half rebounds per game. That'd be the versatile Xavion Lee along with Caden Pierce. They do a nice job of being able to deny those second chances. Pierce, 15 points, nine and a half boards, three assists, doesn't shoot a well from three, but that's why you got Zach Martini and Matt Aloko that do go Aloko. These two guys combined for about 21 points per contest while shooting 42% from three. And Xavion Lee, 18 points, five and a half boards, three and a half assists on 38% three-point shooting. Princeton as a whole, they shoot about 36% from the outside. Very consistent home to road as well. Going against a Brown unit that you thought that their bread and butter was going to be on defense because you've got Kalu Inya, Ovadana, Usu, Anane. These guys, they're still doing a relatively solid job holding up down low. They've been able to give you about 15 and a half to 16 rebounds per game. Nana, Usu, Anane has been able to give you about 15 and a half points per contest as well. But for Brown, they shoot 64.7% of the free throw line. They turn the ball over 12 times per contest. They only shoot about 31.7% from three points. So they've currently got all sorts of issues. And other than Kino Lilly in the backcourt, is able to give you 19 points per contest. You just don't have that Robin. You had last year in the fold some that was able to deliver those double figures in Paxson Wojcik to be able to take the load off of Keno Lilly. And you just have not been able to have someone like an Aaron Cooley who's giving you eight points per contest to be able to help out with that regard. This is also a Brown unit that they don't generate a lot of turnovers while at the same time, they don't do a good job of being able to guard the three-point arc. 224th in all of college basketball is Brown in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage, allowing opponents in a road or neutral court environment to shoot 36.5% from three-point range. Princeton is a very good team at not falling as well. They are in the top 30 nationally with regards to Fios Fells committed on a per-possession basis. And while we always rave about Princeton and how good they are in terms of their offense, this defense has really been able to bear down as well. This Princeton unit has given up 70 points or fewer in all but one of their games since the turn of the calendar. I do think that things are going to be very under control in this game. I did something told though at a 141 at because this Brown team, they just have not been the same in terms of their defense. They have given up north of 70 points in four out of their last five games. It's a Brown unit that they themselves have gotten to at least 69 points so far in their last five games, so I do think the Brown is going to be able to find a few ways to be able to score on this Princeton team, but I think that Princeton puts on a master class and is by far the more efficient team. So, circumstance where I'm going to be one to lay with Princeton, so I told 141 half, so you're at the 141 looking over and looking at Princeton. 893, 894 on the betting board, Toledo is going to be playing us Ohio. Ohio is an underdog of 5.5 to 6 points, so on this game, 159 to 159 and a half. 
I did set Toledo as a four and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take five plus here with Ohio. Do have to give a little bit of credit where credit is due. I'm not saying this team is by any stretch of the imagination, the Seal Curtain or anything like that in terms of their defense, but Toledo's gotten a little bit better with their defense. They're now about 267th in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Did slip slide away from them a little bit in the uh, Sunbelt Mac Challenge where they gave up 109 points in that crazy double overtime game to Appalachian State. And I do feel like that warped their numbers quite a bit because Prior to that game, they had given up about 72 points or fewer in like four out of their last six games. They were really starting to get something going, and then you play a double overtime game that just completely throws things off. Now, you've got a pair of guys in Ricky Moss, Montante Maddox, who have been good primary scorers, being able to spot you with about 32 points per contest. Moss is able to give you about five and a half boards, three assists, and Maddox is your main three-point shooter. He will shoot 42% from three-point range, and for Toledo, they're a top 30 team in the country. There's a few turnovers on a per-possession basis. They play relatively fast, and yet they only turn the ball over about 10.8 times for contest. Now, Toledo, they are going to give up their wide-open looks from three. They allow opponents at home to shoot 35.2% from three-point range. That's outside the top 250 nationally. And for Ohio, they've had their woes in terms of giving up the arc as well in a road or neutral court environment. Opponents shoot from 35% from three-point range against them. And for Ohio, it's been really interesting to look at this bunch. The top flight scores have not been good from three-point range. Sharif Mitchell, Jalen Hunter, these guys, they combined for 28 points, eight and a half boards, seven assists, three Three steals per contest, but neither guy shoots about 33% from three. Spent a lot of AJ Clayton, who's able to shoot about 40.5% from three per inch. When he's been out there on the floor, Miles Brown has been able to shoot 40% from distance. Has dealt with injuries all season long, but has come back and has now given the team double figures in each of the last four games, and that's big as well. This Ohio team, they've won four out of their last five games. They lose that game to Arkansas State, but this offense, it is now getting mock turbo as they've been able to get to at least 78 points in each out of their last four games. Defense has been a little bit better, though, as well. If you look in regulation, because the the game against Ball State that went to overtime. They've now given up 72 points of fear in four of their last five games. Lone exception was going up against an Arkansas State team as one of the most efficient offenses at home in all of college basketball. And for Ohio, they really don't have a lot of rebounding. You don't have a single guy in the roster really other than Elmore James that gives you north of four and a half rebounds per game. But with Toledo also being a team that's well outside the top 200 with regards to rebound rate, I do think that they're going to be able to hold in there. I do feel like Toledo is starting to play a little bit more in terms of their defense. And though Ohio has been putting up some really masterful offensive numbers, I do think that their defense has come along for the ride a little bit with getting their full allotment of pieces back in the fold. I do think that Toledo pulls it off, but I do think that this Ohio bunch, they're going to be able to hold in there. I set my line at four and a half, so here at the five, going to be one to take the points with Ohio, and I did set my total 156 half, also looking at the under. 895, 896 is last game on the normal last week, spending more before we hit the extra game. San Diego State plays us in New Mexico. New Mexico is an underdog of five and a half points with a total between 153 and 153 and a half. I did set my total 149 and a half. I'm looking at the under. San Diego State is doing exactly what they did last season in Mountain West play. In Mountain West play over the last eight games, they've been playing at a rate of about four and a half to five possessions fewer than they did at the beginning part of the season. And San Diego State is once again becoming that bulldozer that we all know and love on defense. In terms of points allowed on a per possession basis for the season, this San Diego State team, they're good, but they're not great at about 53rd. But I know that Matt Josephs was mentioning this, how much better they are when they are at home. And it really does bear out in the numbers. They are giving up 17.1 points fewer per 100 possessions at home rather than in a roadside short environment. But you know who's even better on defense this year? 
that would actually be New Mexico. We always talk about the backcourt of this team, but for New Mexico, the squad is 27th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and it doesn't travel the worst in the world. New Mexico, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis in a road or neutral court environment, they're still a top 35 team in all of college basketball. It's because this New Mexico team does a really good job down low. Got a pair of guys at JT Chopin, along with Nelly Jr. Joseph. They've been able to combine for about 16 and a half rebounds per game. They're going to have their hands full as Jaden Liddy. He's been able to supply the San Diego State team with about eight or so rebounds per game, 18 plus points. He has been very transformative with regards to that system. And for San Diego State, you look at their overall rebound rate this year. They're about 73rd in college basketball. And I do think that New Mexico, being number 60, they've got a little bit of an edge there. And for New Mexico, they're starting to gain a little bit of chemistry in the backcourt as well. Jalen Owls, Donovan Dent, they both give you approximately 15.6 points per contest. They combine for four steals. Dent, your main facilitator with about six assists per contest. You get about four per contest out of house, who they both shoot between about 36.2 and 38.2% from three-point range. And after a rough start to the season from three-point range for Jamal Mashburn Jr., he's starting to pick it up a little bit. And in road and neutral court environment games, Jamal Mashburn Jr. shoots north of 40% from three-point range. Now they go up against the San Diego State team has been incredible at being able to guard the arc. 29th in the country in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage, allowing opponents to shoot 28.3% from three-point range. We saw what they were able to do to Colorado State on Tuesday. They gave up 11, got them 11 points in the second half in that one. I don't think the Lightning is going to strike twice. And for New Mexico, they themselves are very good with their perimeter defense, 42nd in all of college basketball. With Lamont Butler along with Darian Trammell, I know that these are guys that have been dealing with a little bit of injury. These guys have been very inconsistent, Trammell especially in terms of the injury front. They've both been able to combine for about 17 points per contest, like Reese and Waters being able to give you about... 11.5 points on 41% three-point shooting, but I do think that this game gets slowed down a little bit. I think that there's going to be a lot of bricks in this game, but in the end, I do think that the rebounding of New Mexico keeps them lively. I'm going to be willing to take New Mexico in this spot, set them as a three and a half point dog, so looking at the points, and with regards to total, set mine at a 149.5, also diving under. Now let's hit our two extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. 306-553, 306-554, North Florida hits the road face-off against Kennesaw State. We give our to Lane Kiffin Goels as Kennesaw State to find themselves as a two and a half point favorite. Total is anywhere between 164 to 164 and a half. Kennesaw State, a top five team in the country in terms of total possessions per game. North Florida, not necessarily a rocket ship. They're just really bad in terms of their defense. North Florida, well outside the top 275 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And if you look at North Florida's overall numbers, you'd think that this team is playing super fast. They're actually 194th in all of college basketball in terms of total possessions per game. So I think you might be in for a sneaky under here. Not like I think that this is going to be some sort of a slog, but some might total more around a 163 and a half. You do have a Kennesaw State team that is not amazing in terms of their three-point shooting. They shoot about 32.7% from three. I like Tyrell Burton along with Simeon Kotal. They've been able to combine for about 33 points. Burton gives you 6.2 assists, a two and a half turnover three aimer for Kennesaw State. 11.8 turnovers per contest, considering how fast this team plays, is actually pretty darn good. They go up against the North Florida team as really allowing it from three-point range away from home. They're allowing opponents to shoot 39.7% from three-point range, but I don't know if Kennesaw State is able to maximize with that regard. And this is a Kennesaw State team that they themselves are about 327th in all of college basketball in terms of opponents three-point shooting percentage, but this is a North Florida team that could be a little bit different on the road rather than at home. You've had Chaz Lanier be your main 
main guy. 19.5 points. He shoots 45.5% from three-point range. And Dorian James has been able to shoot 47.5% from the outside as well. So these two guys have been absolutely incredible. But efficiency, it can sometimes be lacking with both of these teams. North Florida, to their credit, they're about 75th in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. I'm looking a little bit more at Kennesaw State with them being hot and cold, about 116th in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. And they only score about 1.3 points more per one possessions when they are at home rather than in a road slash shoot court environment. Both of these teams are going to give up their fair share of second chances down low. But for North Florida, this team is well outside the top 225 in terms of their rebound rate. Not that Kennesaw State is doing anything amazing with regards to hitting the glass or anything like that, but I do believe that they've got the best low post player in this game. That'd be Deadman Robinson. He's been able to do a solid job being able to give you about seven rebounds per game. North Florida, as a matter of fact, 312th in all of college basketball in terms of rebound rate. Kennesaw State, while it's not amazing by any means, about 269th, I do think that they win from within. I do think that there's just enough missed shots for you to be able to get the under in this spot. I did something I told 163 and a half, so at 164 plus, why not the under? I think the Kennesaw State wins from within. I'm willing to lay up to three with them. Set them as a three and a half point favorite to go along with the under. And wrap things up with 306.555, Queens NC plays us at Jacksonville. Jacksonville is an underdog of a point and a half. Total on this game, it is 150 and a half. I did set my total 154. I'm looking at the over. For Jacksonville, the well has just really run dry in terms of their offense. Like, they have been absolutely awful. They have scored now 67 points or fewer in four of their last five games. But the good news is, they go up against a Queens NC team that the last time they gave up fewer than 75 points in a game, you have to go all the way back to December. So, it's a good old situation of something's got to give. Like, for Queens NC, this team is just giving up points upon points. As a matter of fact, if you're looking at D1 opponents specifically, the last time Queens NC allowed fewer than 75 points was November 19th. So, yeah, something has to happen here. You've got a Queens NC team that, in their own right, they're very good on offense. You've been able to have A.J. McKee along Delton Aubrey. They've been able to combine for about 36 points per contest with Aubrey. He chips in there. Four assists, six boards. He's able to shoot 37% from three. Really good versatility there. Both of these teams have been rough in terms of being able to glass. And part of the reason why Jacksonville has been struggling so much has been the injuries in the backcourt. Marcus Nyblack has been dealing with a little bit of an injury. He was very versatile for the team. So you've got Robert McCray, who's able to give you 17 points, shoots 33% from three, four boards, three assists. But that's that. You really don't have a lot of help down low. But I will say, for Jacksonville, Bryce Workman, when he's been out there, as he has just returned to the fold for the team, he has been able to give you quite a bit of rebounding. He's had a combined 26 rebounds in his three games back in the fold. And for Jacksonville, this is a top 140 team with regards to rebound rate. They do have that nice advantage over Queens NC, but I still did say Queens as a six-point favorite because along with the Nyblack injury, you've still been having in and out of the fold. Other guys in the backcourt, they're just getting Zach Bell back. He's someone that is able to be a bit of a sharpshooter at about 38% from three-point range. And for Jacksonville, 14 turnovers per game. They're a bottom 75 team in all of college basketball in terms of being able to take care of the ball and for Jacksonville. This is a bunch that they do get torched from three-point range. In a rotor and neutral court environment, they allow opponents to shoot 39% from three, 27.3% from three-point range when they're at home. And this is a Jacksonville team that they've got some of the more demonstrative home and road splits on defense that you're going to find in all of college basketball because a lot of the success that Jacksonville has been having on defense recently, that has been coming at home. Jacksonville, 287th in the country, turns points a lot on a per-possession basis. That balloons by 22.8 points more, giving up per one arm possessions away from home rather than at home, which is why I do try Queens in this spot. Did South Bend as a six-point favorite. Also made my total 154, so looking at the over end. That'll wrap things up for the 
Friday edition of Coast to Coast Hoops, now part of the Visa Family of Podcasts. A big thanks to our good friend Matt Josephs, aka Mid Major Matt, for joining me in the last segment. If you do like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Hoops, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at Gita underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters DM. Maybe it does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other way, that is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated from there. You're able to fire on whatever you'd like here on this podcast via that five star review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season. That means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.